Unexplainable is a science show about everything we don't know. Like, we don't know how bikes work. Get out. Come on. We don't know where the moon came from. Holy cow. You've touched the moon. This is incredible. We don't even know what life is. No one has been able to define life, and some people will tell you it's not possible to. Unexplainable takes you right up to the edge of what we know and keeps going. New episodes every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Olivia here. I want to tell you about a new podcast from Axios called One Big Thing. It's hosted by Nyla Budu and features interviews with leaders you know or need to know in business, politics, and culture. Each week, you'll hear one big conversation on the trends shaping our world from people like Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, technology reporter Ina Freed, and chef and humanitarian Jose Andres. So go ahead, listen to One Big Thing on your favorite podcast app. New episodes drop every Thursday. Hello, and welcome to BioEats World, a podcast at the intersection of bio, healthcare, and tech. I'm Olivia. And I'm Chris. Today's episode is with Suchi Saria, founder and CEO of Bayesian Health and a professor at Johns Hopkins University. She is joined by Vijay Pandey of Bio and Health. So I think in healthcare, oversight done right is going to be very useful for accelerating AI adoption. Now, the key part, the devil's in the million details of, you know, what regulation we will see and how. I've been part of actually a variety of software as a medical device type submissions to the FDA. And while the framework overall is extremely thoughtful, the, you know, the process is painful. Essentially, the process of writing a sprint, submitting it, getting feedback, that was designed in scenarios where it takes two, three, four, five years to, you know, do what's needed to bring a drug to market. That doesn't work in software. We need the ability to be able to go from, you know, the initial conception to showing evaluated, tested product in four, three, four, five months. In addition to being a founder, Suchi is also involved in AI policy. In this episode, she talked about her work in DC, including where she sees a need for regulation and how, contrary to what some might think, regulation in healthcare might actually unlock innovation. What I see is the opportunity to create a real-time care infrastructure, right? That's smart. That's intelligent. It's pulling together relevant data from this site, other sites, making it computable in real time, making that signal actionable in real time. And then that kernel of information is useful to any part of healthcare, right? When you think about care delivery, and I don't mean billing. I'm not interested in billing. We have spent very little time trying to think about how to do billing and billing automation. What we're really trying to do is you know, done right, there's so much significant financial opportunity in altering sort of the utilization curve, altering, you know, the clinical impact. And then again, you know, the frontline experience that comes out of it. You're listening to BioEats World for May 16Z. Suchi, thank you for joining us on BioEats World. It's great to have you. Thanks, Vijay. Always fun to talk to you. You know, you've been working on AI now for like, what, 20 years, you know, one of the OGs in the space. What led you to f- decide to found Bayesian? I think we've seen such phenomenal advances in AI in the last decade, and especially in the last five years. And what we were seeing as state-of-the-art is very different from what was available in the market. And there's a lot of hype in what people were pitching as AI. Pretty much anything was being pitched as AI, but also most of what was available was not effective. I'm also very motivated by the problems in healthcare in the last decade 
post high tech act we now have all this data and but the use of this data and in really influencing and informing some of the most critical life decisions is you know our health related decisions is almost minimal to none so technology is mature there's an opportunity to use this technology to really drive impactful decisions to solve burning challenges in healthcare all the way from nursing shortages clinician shortages you know patients are getting more are sicker they're living longer acuity is increasing but also like there's so much waste in our healthcare system where there's an opportunity to optimize all of this comes back to better use of data in real time to unburden frontline clinicians and make them more effective and efficient with the data that we do have and so how do we create these like platforms that augment care teams and so what bayesian does is basically it's a very simply said like a platform that builds clinical copilot for care teams in order to make it easy to do the right thing in a timely fashion whenever we're talking about healthcare we often have to talk about regulation and how these things are be regulated but nowadays whenever we're talking about ai we're also increasingly talking about oversight and regulation how do you think bayesian fits into uh what people have in mind for for ai oversight last year as an example we released these three big manuscripts that came out on the cover of nature medicine and what the paper showed was really implementing a bayesian's platform at five sites starting with an academic hospital and then going to other community hospitals a very diverse setting and it was a two and a half study and in the middle of the study covid happened so really patient populations shifting over time practice patterns shifting over time and a common issue that uh people bring up is will ai train in one site generalize to ai trained at other sites in my research career i've spent uh, you know a huge amount of energy on how do you safely translate these kinds of ai based diagnostics or therapeutics or intervention tools safely from the lab to the real world setting and in doing so you have to think about all of the things that traditionally we've thought about from a regulatory standpoint in healthcare like you know what is the intended use is it safe how do i know it's effective what are the risks what your risk mitigation architecture how are you tracking to make sure you know you're going to recognize it and uh solve for it in real time and so as i started working on translating these ideas into the real world and implementing it at sites at scale we started finding a lot of these challenges and as any researcher would started devising solutions for fixing it in our papers last year that was sort of one of the very exciting things we showed how it basically the system continued to be performant over time by leveraging these advanced technologies that allow you to account for drift and shift and monitoring and tuning uh in real time and so with ai safety as a big research angle uh i've also been collaborating as a researcher with the fda directly on uh helping modernize some of the tools that they use for oversight so in some sense the purpose of bayesian was to really bring state of the art ai in a way that's done right that speaks to the obvious question which i think you're kind of getting at which is what does ai oversight done right look like healthcare is actually further along in terms of rigor and discipline than other areas uh you know outside of healthcare when it comes to ai and part of that has to do with the fda and sort of the history regulatory history there around bringing new devices to market and in particular software as a medical device one way to think about this is you first think of well what is the real problem you're trying to solve so what is the intended use of your solution and then how are you going to measure that it is being successful so what are you going to do to study success and then what are the risks 
that can and these risks can be all the way from privacy risks, but also clinical risks like undertreatment, overtreatment, missed cases. And once we understand those risks, the question is, can you measure both uh, whether it's working and the risks? And then there's a risk benefit trade off assessment you have to do. So in other words, you know, do you have a process for risk mitigation and do you have a way to justify that the benefits significantly outweigh the risks? And then if that's the case, then essentially it is a good tool and it should be introduced into the market. And as part of the uh, risk assessment, there's also bias. Beyond what I just described, uh, sort of some new elements is, you know, when you deploy this tool beyond sort of the work you did prior to getting approval or initial deployment, do you continue to monitor this device for whether it's effective or not or the software for whether it's effective or not? And as the environment changes or conditions in which the, uh, the software is deployed changes, do you have the ability to you know, monitor and detect those changes and improve it or do what is necessary to tackle the change? This is the framework, frame, framework from a researcher's point of view of AI done right, which is sort of the start to end life cycle of measuring risk benefit, evaluating it via studies. And then as you deploy, you continue to monitor and effectively create infrastructure for you know, risk mitigation and tuning that's real time. And that's kind of where a lot of my research career has been. This isn't just a clinical thing, just really across the board, we need to be thinking about questions like this. Yeah, that's really fascinating because what you've described is that basically um, what you're doing is not really new to you, right? I mean, this is something that, you know, Bayesian is like, what, like five, six years old. Uh, it's been thinking about sort of this, these policy aspects, the safety aspects have been a sort of foundational part of this. You know, I've been involved in several like listening sessions. This is either single agency, cross agency listening sessions where they brought together experts to understand these topics on, you know, uh, what the issues are, where the harms are, where the anxieties are. One big concern I have is that some of this need is emerging out of just this fear of like, AI can become sentient or, you know, it can develop will of its own and start doing things, controlling the human race. Many experts will agree that that's not really the place where near term or even perhaps in the next 10 years where we need to be worried. What we really need to be worried about is more, you know, in translating these tools, there needs to be some guardrails, rubrics for doing, you know, rigor and quality in deploying these well. And with AI, because a lot of the tools are open source, you see a lot of newcomers coming in, taking advantage of the APIs, starting to build products and deploying very, very fast. And the challenge is mostly that they're unfamiliar with the, you know, the nooks and crannies and how things can go wrong or how to do good evaluations. And so as a result, you'll see, we're seeing like a range of funny and interesting and strange and frankly, harmful deployments. So I think that's where we need to be worried about. Like, how do we make sure we don't exacerbate bias? How do we make sure we don't in introduce inequity? How do we make sure, you know, we're not causing harm? Well, yeah, so let's double click on that. Like, so we, what sort of harm are you uh, referring to? One example that like STAT reported on was a patient, essentially on a MA plan patient, you know, their prediction for length of stay was 17. And the idea was if this, you know, they really sort of had a closed loop system where the idea was if it's the person needs to stay longer than 17, there's a financial penalty or like repercussions associated with it. So as a result, in this case, it was, a, you know, a much older patient that really needed more care, but policies implemented poorly can harm a patient's health in this case. 
there are many such examples, right? So one other thing that I think connects all this together, which is kind of fun, is that you were, um, Bayesian was called out as a time top 100 innovative company. Uh, I'm curious to get your take on that because the hope for me for many years was for AI and healthcare to become mainstream. You know, we've been toiling in the mines for a while. And like to have that type of recognition makes me think that people are starting to get it. And also they get the positive impact that it could have. I mean, I don't know, what does it mean to you? Maybe another way to think about this is where are we from a market perspective? And, you know, are we at a tipping point? So I personally think, you know, so much of it has been the buildup. COVID, for instance, has made health systems realize business as usual is not good enough. We really need solutions. We can't continue to keep asking our staff, like our nurses and our doctors, to keep doing more, 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 more. We need ways to unburden them. We need ways to make things easier, not harder. We need ways to simultaneously lower the cost of care. We need ways to stop, you know, diagnostic errors, medical errors. In some sense, these are big problems that have existed, but during COVID, there's all been like, a realization that we need alternatives. Simultaneously, what's happened is there's also this sort of realization that there are potentially solutions we can now deploy that maybe we didn't know about. So I think some of it is the need crossed with the opportunity and the timing of it. And in clinical especially, I think to me, what's even more exciting is that the regulatory piece is also mature. So there's the need is high, the solutions are now there and the regulatory framework is mature. So the three cross means it's really, really, really exciting time to make progress in this area. I'm curious to double click on the AI policy work in general. I, I mean, this is a thing that I think is kind of mind blowing about what you're talking about, which is that, you know, most people, most technologists, at least, generally don't like regulation. I mean, you could even go as far as saying that they would hate regulation, that regulation slows them down, it adds friction. It's, if I were to try to make their case in the most extreme way, uh, the regulators aren't familiar with the innovation that they're trying to build. And uh, especially now with all the AI stuff, there's so much like fear of the Terminator and, and, and arguments that derive from science fiction movies more than reality that people who are developing these technologies don't like regulation, you seem to have a different mindset. How do you think about it? So I think in healthcare for technology to get adopted, you need to get trust, right? Ultimately, it's a field where it's a high stakes game. And to get trust, you need the ability to, you know, have some guardrail, some rubric, somewhere, somebody is put in the energy to assess and evaluate and figure out that this is actually going to work. So I think in healthcare, oversight done right is going to be very useful for accelerating AI adoption. Now, the key part, the devil's in the million details of, you know, what regulation we will see and how. I've been part of actually a variety of software as a medical device type submissions to the FDA. And while the framework overall is extremely thoughtful, the, you know, the process is painful. Essentially, the process of writing a sprint, submitting it, getting feedback, that was designed in scenarios where it takes two, three, four, five years to, you know, do what's needed to bring a drug to market. That doesn't work in software. We need the ability to be able to go from, you know, the initial conception to showing evaluated, tested product in four, three, four, five months. And there are areas where there's very significant benefit, like in sepsis. 
sepsis is life-threatening. If you can identify and treat it in a timely fashion, you really can alter the patient's outcomes dramatically, you know, save lives. But if a regulatory submission to get approval from start to end takes, you know, two years or three years, that's really painful. You kind of paint the picture that, you know, in a sense, oversight is the key to unlocking the industry more broadly, right? Like you talked about trust. Is it kind of your point of view that trust is actually gained through that oversight and then really great things can happen from there? Imagine if you were doing something really hard and you had to use all your brain capacity all day long to assess it every single time. Wouldn't it be great if you could outsource it to some other group that kind of does the assessment and then tells you, are we good with this? And then you can continue doing what you need. It's like delegation. So oversight is another form of delegation. Can I find another group that is an expert in it, can start to end, look through it and basically tell us what we're doing is good? And if so, then I can safely use it. And furthermore, from a risk standpoint, I can rely on them to have done an assessment, which means I am not the one who's going to get in trouble for using it, right? So like malpractice risk is a common example. So Suchi, my understanding is that you have been involved with this most recent executive order, the EO uh, from the Biden administration at the end of 2023. Can you give us a quick summary of it? I think the EO essentially is pretty comprehensive. It calls on various different agencies to go back, analyze and create a strategic plan to understand like what is their approach to making sure that the AI that is being deployed in their sector is safe and trustworthy and reliable. When it comes to healthcare, there's a maybe seven to eight different asks inside the EO. The most significant and most interesting one to me is the one where they're putting an HHS AI task force. And the task force is going to be within, you know, within the first 90 days and thereafter, within 365 days, they're going to come up with a plan. A lot is actually left open-ended to figure out how we're going to do it and what's actually going to be done. Now, in other collaborations around this, uh, one uh, potential area that we're likely to see is the emergence of public-private partnerships that is mentioned also in the EO. So for instance, the collaborations um, I am part of through the Coalition of Health AI, for example, and a number of other groups, the National Academy of Medicine, where health systems and payers are coming together. And the idea is, you know, is there sort of a citizen-derived approach where essentially you're bringing groups together to construct a different process by which companies, developers, or you know, any of these solution makers can go and partner with health systems to do these kinds of studies. And uh, we collate a blueprint that is a best practice blueprint that is designed by experts that merely specifies what one needs to measure. And essentially, these collaboratories become the place where you can partner to quickly start to measure it. And now suddenly the the oversight process can be a little bit more distributed compared to what we, you know, what we currently see. When I think as an investor, what I think most of us want to do is we want to be able to build companies that will have impact. The fear is that regulation will diminish impact. And I think what you're painting is something very interesting, that regulation could increase impact, that regulation could unlock the market, that regulation could build trust trust not just with regulators and the government, but trust with the people who buy this and trust with the patients that are going to use this. That idea that this is an accelerant is actually uh, counter to, I think, counterintuitive for many. And so as an investor, that's actually really intriguing that this would be a catalyst rather than a detriment. I think we'd want to have some sense to really know that, is that how it's really going to go? And your arguments about that the fact that it's, it's open-ended and that there's going to be this public-private partnerships, if those go the way you're describing, 
feels like that would be the next steps to achieve that, getting to their side, getting to trust and getting to point a place where we all could feel very excited about what we're doing together collectively. Essentially, there's uncertainty. So if what you're getting at is like, well, there's uncertainty. So what does it all mean, right? Effectively. Another counterpoint is people think administrative is low risk. Let's do administrative and clinical is high risk. From a regulatory standpoint, clinical is much more mature and much further along because of software as a medical device as a framework that has already existed. And in clinical, regulatory, the framework already exists. It's definitely an accelerant and expanding oversight is only going to you know, allow us to build trust faster. And now from an investment perspective on the administrative front, I'd say there's a little bit of an uncertainty now, right? Like what is that framework going to look like? You know, how are you going to think about what it means to the speed of development? Because historically investors have thought if it's administrative, we don't need to think about regulatory. We don't need to think about oversight so we can go faster in building and deploying solutions. And I think that's where we'll see a little bit of a change in terms of the need for you know, changing the way you operate. The other thing is basically the hordes of startup where they didn't have a safety culture to start or they didn't have sort of rigor ability to measure and really be uh, scientific and disciplined, they'll all just have to go back to the drawing board now because that way of doing things, the wild, wild west isn't going to work anymore. So how do you think it's going to play out? Because I think in healthcare, we've got different types of incumbents. You've got like the old incumbents, I like Epic. You've got incumbents that are new to healthcare, like Google or Amazon or something like that. And then you've got startups. How does the EO affect what each one of these can do? So what the EO does and, you know, what any kind of regulatory oversight does is ensures that any products we're putting out, there actually work and they do the right thing, which means groups that are focused and committed in building the products they're building and scaling the products they're scaling correctly will succeed. And so this means there's not going to be as many dabblers. In healthcare, we have a huge mindset of we want one mega vendor to do everything. But the reality is, you know, the kinds of expertise you need to do high quality clinical AI solutions is very different from the kinds of expertise you need to build billing software, right? Just very different. And so you'll see basically the segmentation now happen. And, you know, just even in clinical, it's massive. The space is massive, right? So now we will see the emergence of platform companies that are focused in specific areas, and they will really nail those areas. They're going to understand start to end what it takes. And, you know, tech companies will have infrastructure products that enable other people to build these companies, like cloud companies, uh, you know, are uh, providing HIPAA compliant clouds on which we can do things. But essentially, I think there'll be more clarity in the market. Previously, everybody wanted to do everything. Everybody had everything on their roadmap. You just can't do that anymore. You just have to figure out what is your jam and how are you going to completely rock at it. Before, you, you could do that, but who knows whether to get around to it. Now you can't even credibly do that, right? It makes it very clear everybody has kind of their lanes in, in this next game. Exactly. So what wasn't in the EO that you wished was? Oof, that is a hard big one. The HSS AI task force, very little is said about exactly what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. I would very much hope to see that, you know, the process they've taken, the listening process thus far, where they've brought in experts who deeply understand the field, we've translated solutions, we understand kind of where the real gaps are. We're bringing that knowledge and designing how things play out. Because the risk I see is essentially in one year, in great rush, we stand up policy 
that actually is completely not suited for the field and will end up actually slowing down the field dramatically in ways that's terrible. So I hope they're going to actually engage with experts. And when I say experts, I really mean people who both build solutions and deployed solutions, who understand AI really, really well, but also have translated solutions in the real world. So there's sort of the interplay between hypothetically building the idea, but also then understanding what are the challenges that arise in deploying these solutions in practice. So for listeners who aren't familiar with Bayesian, can you just give us a quick sort of summary? What does Bayesian do? In short, it makes the EMR smarter, proactive, more dynamic for clinicians and care teams. It basically augments them with care signals that are in real time identifying patients at risk for a variety of different complication areas. And these are not just like numbers. These are like clinically validated, rigorous signals along with context that makes it very actionable. And then smart co-pilot-like workflows that makes it very easy for the care team to do the right thing. And one of the important areas is, you know, historically, we've had platforms, platforms that can do anything. But the reality is you ask them, well, what do you do? The answer is, well, whatever you want me to do. The way Bayesian's been built, essentially, we really deeply understand healthcare. So we've taken very high value problem areas where there's both clinical impact, financial impact, but also frontline experience, like staffing impact. And taken the intersection of those three areas and curated, you know, high value areas where the data exists, we fundamentally can improve the care delivery process to create impact in all three of those areas. The way to think about this is this is intelligent care augmentation, right? We're giving the tools to augment the care team with signals that can really, you know, and our studies show like can save lives. I, I think that's very key and like especially having that co-pilot in the EMR is kind of amazing. Doctors' workflows are so complicated to have that brought to their attention. I could see hopefully it's just something that would be a huge help to them and obviously therefore a huge help to patients. Where do you think Bayesian is going to be like 10 years from now? Is it going to be a, a co-pilot still that maybe goes much more horizontal or where, you know, where, how does it evolve? What I see is the opportunity to create a real-time care infrastructure, right? That's smart. That's intelligent. It's pulling together relevant data from this site, other sites, making it computable in real time, making that signal actionable in real time. And then that kernel of information is useful to any part of healthcare, right? When you think about care delivery, and I don't mean billing, I'm not interested in billing. We have spent very little time trying to think about how to do billing and billing automation. What we're really trying to do is, you know, done right, there's so much significant financial opportunity in altering sort of the utilization curve, altering, you know, the clinical impact. And then again, you know, the frontline experience that comes out of it. For the healthcare people listening, can you sort of explain what the name Bayesian means? Because it's an important homage, right? Or, or, or connection to what you do. Yeah. So I think many people, when they hear Bayesian, they either don't know what the word means or they think if they're technical, they think, is it a Bayesian network? And the answer is, uh, interestingly, the smartest decision makers, right? When you look at like, like decision making, you're integrating data as it comes in. Lots of disparate types of data and you, you do uncertainty quantification. You're trying to figure out what data can I trust and to what extent. And then as new data comes in, you update your estimate of what's happening over time. And in fact, given the data at hand, it's, it's really the best possible decision you can make. And that's really what Bayesian statistics is about. Thank you for joining BioEats World. 
BioEats World is hosted and produced by me, Olivia Webb, with the help of the Bio and Health team at A16Z and edited by Phil Hegseth. BioEats World is part of the A16Z podcast network. If you have questions about the episode or want to suggest topics for a future episode, please email bioeatsworld at a16z.com. Last but not least, if you're enjoying BioEats World, please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. The content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. Please note that A16Z and its affiliates may maintain investments in the companies discussed in this podcast. For more details, including a link to our investments, please see a16z.com disclosures.